0: All
1: right, everybody. It is Garrett Merigue, your host of today's show. I am super excited to be chatting with the CMO of Lessonly, Kyle Lacey. Welcome to the show. Hey, Kyle.
0: hey, thanks. I love that intro. That's awesome. Oh,
1: thank you. Thank you. Here, I'm going to give a little shout out. I never done this. Ryan, I added you to the stream. Show your face. This is the guy behind it all.
0: <laughs> thank you. Thank hey, you. Great. Ryan, Everyone, hey, Thank you.
1: <laughs> but uh, so excited to have you here. As I was prepping, Kyle, I noticed you work in the VC space Yeah, and I work in SaaS. And one of the assumptions I have, and I want you to kind of get your feedback on this is working in SaaS is really fun and really hard because all of us are taking somebody else's money, trying to spend it as well and quickly as possible to get more of someone else's money. Now, as we're doing that little rat race, First off, am I accurate right there? Is that kind of what's going on?
0: Yeah, I, I'd say it's accurate. I would say that uh, you know, there's there's definitely differing levels of that, right? But yeah, it's 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 close for sure, right? So you, like, someone gives you much money, they want X amount of growth. Once you yep. get it, you get more money
1: to try to get more growth, right? And it's kind yep. of this like chasing the carrot. What don't we know about how VCs though think about marketing? So how is a VC firm right when they give a CMO? a bag, what are they really thinking? Like what's actually in their mind? And then I guess, what do we think they're thinking? Like what's our biggest false hypothesis when we get VC money that we think as marketers
0: versus what they actually think? Like what's the biggest gap? Uh, I think the the biggest misconception is that all VCs want exponential growth at all costs. And that's actually, that's not not true. Yeah. I, I think that smart VCs understand the way to smart growth. And the way to figure out product market fit and scale—it really depends on what stage you are too. Like seed and Series A and Series B are going to be a little bit different than D, E, F rounds, debt rounds, stuff like that. So, um, you know, I, I think that's probably the number one misconception: is that by giving you money, they they are expecting scale um, at all costs. At Just all costs. Like- yeah, they they're sure. expecting growth. Right, like you yeah, don't take well. money and grow like ten percent, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, so no. that's what I say. Now,
1: people like Rand Fishkin, the base camp guys, they uh, love to play. Like VC is legitimately like Satan's spawn. Um, like that. I mean, that is legitimately well, like how. Well, they,
0: I mean, it's fair. I mean, the, okay. there are there are there are there are situations out there where. You shouldn't take VC money or VCs give too much money to a company and ruin common stock for all the employees, right? Or the options pool. Um, but there's great companies out there like Basecamp, MailChimp, who did it without the money, right? And you know what? If I'm gonna build a company, a software company, I'm gonna try to do it without the money because you're just gonna make way more money in the long run because of the profit margin, all that crap, right? But um, you know i i think like anything in life there is the there's the extremes on both sides
1: 100%. now you have a content marketing background so one of my questions i have for you is so you take the vc money right your saas company there is this assumption and i know this because from the agency world is we got to get results quick and it puts a lot of focus on the bottom of the funnel and a lot less focus around building a brand or creating emotion Board. Like ironically, right? Demand gen is lead gen to these SaaS organizations, right? And they, nobody's really spending on demand gen because I think they have to get returns quickly. How, how can we as marketers balance how we allocate capital so that we are future proofing ourselves
0: mm-hmm. so that we're
1: not just doing this rat race to the bottom, which is, you know, every time a competitor enters the ad auction, drives up the CPC, which drives up CPA. Price is stagnant, and now I have diminishing marginal returns. How can I do a better media plan, a better content plan? How can I keep funding content even when I'm struggling on first touch? Like, how do I get a more balanced go-to-market strategy that's more long-term focused? What should I, what should I be thinking about?
0: Well, uh, first off, I, you know, from a lessonly standpoint, we're very lucky that we have OpenView, High Alpha, and some of our other investors that that understand how to do it the right way and have a marketing mind, like. It's as much as of a CEO's responsibility to find the right VC firm instead of just taking a big check. Right. So I'm going to put that aside Uh, from a marketing perspective. um, A marketing leader should own a revenue number, direct source. So because you own a revenue number, that means that you have more uh, you have uh, more leeway in how you run your budget. The way that we do it a lesson, or at least the way we think about it, is that 75 percent of spend should go to generating revenue. Direct source, right? Yeah. Organic, search, direct, whatever. 25% of our budget, which includes headcount, goes towards brand, brand building. And we, for all intents and purposes, we do not measure it. We I don't love measure that. any of it. That's so, the
1: you're going to lose but to never stop spending.
0: Yeah. Because my team is amazing at what they do and the experiences that they create uh, builds our brand and but if you were to come to me and say what is the brand producing I would I would tell you our overall revenue number because marketing should marketing yeah. be, marketing should be influencing 100 of a company, not just the top of funnel right so for us it's but the only way that I can do that the only way that I can that I can uh, fund my team to be able to do, Board games and a clothing line and a golden llama and a Lego llama is because we own a revenue number. Yeah. 100%. That's the way we can do it, right? Yeah. No, we set it up here too,
1: where marketing, SDRs, and AEs share the same quarterly targets, right? Now, when you break 75, 25, right? So you got revenue, let's say acquisition and 25 brand, whatever that is. Where, where does retargeting fit in there for you? Do you put retargeting on the brand side of the 25 or do you put retargeting on the 75? 75. Okay. And so one of the things I'm struggling with, and I don't have a great, there's no resources online. And when we're bringing this to our customers is of that 75, if we put that as hundred, right? How are we splitting up? Um, like essentially things like programmatic and maybe brand ads retargeting. And then things like Captera software, G2, Google ads, convo ads, like that, like, I, gen- yeah,
0: I don't, if we were to, when we run like ABM campaigns that goes more brand. Okay. Cause we don't, we have attribution models that we look at but we don't look at an influence number. So uh, I don't, I actually don't have a great answer for you. Honestly, um, there are much smarter minds out there that, that that have figured this out. But for us, it's a lot of that 75% is direct the first touch direct source.
1: Yeah, that's why I mean, I to be honest, it's not that you don't have it. I don't know anybody who has it. Like, I this is like a question. I've I mean, been you, can,
0: you can do influence, but or pipe, you know, we we also look at pipe gen for our enterprise segment, but um, it's just hard, it's hard. Like, it almost seems I know there's plenty of people who disagree with me, but it all it, you know, if you're not influencing 100% of revenue, then what are you doing as a marketing team? So, yeah, you kind of just playing patty cake in the corner and it's like, no, we have a real like objective
1: we're trying to get. No, I'm I'm right on board with you there. Now you kind of went exact target to Salesforce to VC to less to like lessingly, right? That's kind of yeah. the journey. Yeah. I'm curious because I don't even know and for the audience listening, you were global head at Salesforce. What's the difference between running North America versus global that no one is really prepared for? Like what's that moment where you're like, oh crap, or like what can you do if you're going <laughs> from being like just a director to global director? Like
0: what, yeah. what, what that like? I mean, uh, the biggest thing is just dealing with um or understand not dealing with that sounds terrible. Understanding different cultures. That is the biggest leap, you yeah, know, you're for like, me. Like I'm gonna rephrase that one. Yeah, no, it wasn't, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's mostly just understanding different cultures. Like when we yeah. were doing content in the Nordics was different than. Well, I'll give you a great example. Yeah. When we at Salesforce, we opened a, Jap- uh, a Japanese office in Tokyo, our Japan, our Japan office for the marketing cloud. And I was talking to the head of marketing in Japan about um, you know talking to CMOS when when we're there, like in Tokyo for the for the conference. And uh, his comment was like, "CMOS don't we don't really have CMOS in Japan." It's it's mostly product focused, right? And not necessarily marketing focused. And that was that was that's just an example of you have to spend a lot of time trying to understand the different cultures and the different regions because we were doing content for my team out of Indianapolis was producing content for eight countries in four different languages, and the German, the German public, the the office in France, like the office in the UK. Like they, they were all wanting a little bit different, you know, and we were lucky that we had marketing managers in each country. Right. So you can handle that. But that was, that was the biggest thing when it's the global, when you're dealing with different uh, cultures and people.
1: No, I love that. And I, I mean, you can't even imagine what you think it is until you actually get the feedback, right? Like you don't you can pretend like you know what it the Japanese culture wants or thinks until you start working in it and you're like, Oh, I was off,
0: right? Yeah, and that and that applies to everything. Like if you're yeah. not talking to your customers constantly, yeah. you know, you're not gonna understand what they want. If you're not talking to your spouse, you're not gonna understand what they want, right? So I'm not I'm not like this is not any new ideas. It's just when you be when you start doing international stuff. It does. It does shift pretty dramatically.
1: I love that. Now this is sour and sass, and I've been getting carried oh, right. away. I
0: was wondering when uh, we were supposed to do this. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's right now. Are you ready? Yeah. What am I? Which one? Okay. I'm doing a warhead. Oh, okay. I get sometimes
1: nervous around the toxic waste. I'm going to be honest. They're they're intimidating. Yeah. I got. What do I got here? This is the uh, mango. Now be careful on the wrapper because the
0: wrapper likes to get stuck on there. Okay. And then, yeah. I'm going cherry lime. Heck yeah, I've got... Did you know there's natural flavors in this? Which I did not know. <laughs> You might have to taste a lot of nat- natural, man. <laughs> I'll tell you right now. That's, oh, look, that's marketing. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. marketing. All right, let's see what I got. Now,
1: Wesley, <laughs> I wouldn't say, is a completely mature organization compared to like Salesforce. What's it like doing marketing for someone at that market cap at that market share. Like what's the difference between how they think right now that they're Salesforce mm-hmm. versus how like incumbents think, like what's the biggest difference you notice being in-house there?
0: I mean, do it. You don't really, this was my experience. At, and to be clear, it was a year at Salesforce after the acquisition. You don't really do marketing at Salesforce. You manage up. That's a. I I mean, honestly, that is, that's the difference in a, in a huge organization where – and uh, I'll tell you, they have brilliant marketing. Salesforce oh. has always been good at it, and that's because it comes from Benioff, and it always will. And the, the fact that they've been able to maintain that at scale is uh, amazing, right? So, so let's unpack that, though. So what does it look like? So I come in, right? I'm the director
1: of global demand gen at Salesforce. I'm ready to – light the world on fire, what actually happens? Like what actually happens?
0: Well, well, you, I mean, you, you report into a VP in the org okay. somewhere, probably out of San Francisco and you've got to learn where you fit into the campaign structure. Cause Salesforce, at least at the time, they had a lot of campaigns, right? They had a main okay. campaign. What they did brilliantly is that they have a goal structure called V2 mom. I can't remember what the acronym stands for, but Mark Benioff sets his five goals, and it waterfalls down. So, as a as a director of global content marketing or whatever the hell my title was at the time, yeah. I could track my goal all goals quarterly goals all the way up to Benioff within sale, within a use it Salesforce CRM. So wow. that's how I mean, and, and you t- that's alignment. And so the name oh. of the game at a director level in a 50 60 70,000 person company is alignment and a bunch of a bunch of phone calls. You're you're a soldier. You're just a Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah for the difference player. in Lessonly, you can imagine. I mean, we're over 200 employees, but yeah. we, you know, for for me to do for me to do a, a cool board game at Salesforce, you'd have to do it without telling anybody because the moment you ask somebody then there's, there's 10 other people that have to weigh in on it and then it dies. Which there's reasoning behind. Like, I'm not hating on it. There's reasons. Like, it, people are built for that. I learned pretty quickly that I wasn't. No, and I
1: mean, you can't knock the fact that Salesforce is Salesforce, right? Like, it's working for them. Now, you, you see that, right? I and mean, it sounds like you have some type of respect in your tone towards how Benioff is setting such great alignment from the top. Now, as a CMO... Benioff's the CEO. So in your world, are you taking alignment from the CEO at Lessonly and then driving it down? Or are you creating that and driving it down? Like how is that Works. working
0: in this org? The exec team, the exec team creates it as a as a as a unit. And I okay. there look, I, I've never spoken to Benioff. I don't know anybody that's worked directly for Benioff. So I can't speak to the way that they do things, right? I yeah. just I just know what I have heard and what I experienced there. Um. Yeah. So yeah, for us, it's we we are. There's the exec team creates company objectives, and then it's a waterfall effect to the rest of the teams to make sure that everybody's aligned. And uh, we do it we do it in any way possible to make sure that people are on the same page.
1: I love that. Now, with alignment and all these things, there's I I kind of find there's in my career there's two ways that I've managed and. When I had junior level people and new people, it was always about limiting their floor, like trying to raise their floor. Mm-hmm. And then as I've started to work with more talented and experienced people, it's all about trying to raise their ceiling. And I want them bringing me ideas that are aligned with our vision and that are financially viable, strategically aligned. How are you encouraging ideation? Like you know the stuff, the puzzle pieces that you're talking about and the games and all these new, the the clothing line, is that coming from you? Is that coming from the bottom? Like- and then how are you encouraging those new ideas? Like what's what's that like?
0: Well, first thing is if you if you allow the team to think creatively outside of what revenue it will produce, they'll come up with great ideas. I'm a huge fan of Rory Sutherland who's the chairman of Ogilvy and he wrote a book called Alchemy. Mm-hmm. And it's about irrational thinking and it's the idea that you have to marry data with irrationality in order to be creative. And so for me it's hey if you want to do a board game, I'm, we're not going to have a retro to tell whether or not that board game drove revenue, because if you if you start with revenue gen and demand gen, it's re, it's harder for creatives to be creative. You but, get an ebook and a webinar. I mean, it's yeah. a, they yeah, the yeah. But, is pretty consistent, right? Like, but there's time there's time and a place for those things, right? Like we have we have a squad that's called uh, in uh, inbound for the winbound, and it's a CRO team, and they do click rate optimization tests all day long. That's more like, hey, this button moved when somebody scrolled over it and and form fills increased by 200%, that type of stuff. So I think yeah. you have the tinkering, the granular type, and then you've got the brainstorming, high-end, high-end um, creative stuff that uh, you've got to balance as, as much as possible. But the only way that I can balance that and give our brand team the ability to create cool stuff like, our book that we came out with two years ago, that was all done in house, is if you own a revenue number, because well, we don't.
1: Want, yeah, I too. You're saying right. So that we have to we have to own a revenue number. So our ideas are still tied to an overarching thing, but not maybe a specific thing. Is that what yeah, we're saying? Yeah. Like
0: if we if if Leslie wasn't uh, if we weren't hitting our net new business number, then yeah, we would probably back off some of the brand stuff, right? But it's, you know, it's, um, I can't remember what the saying is, but, uh, what's the lifts all ships? A rising tide. Thank you. Rising tides. But that's, but that is what we find with brands. So I, I'm sure, I'm sure there's a point in time where somebody's going to say to me, you need to measure the brand and your voice in the market and use, um, use different software to do that. But for me, I just want to keep it fun and make sure that our that our customers love it. And I do a salary
1: test interview. So I mean you're talking to the guy, right? Like I have no clue. Like I get it. I'm right there with you. Now, what I struggled with, and I'm so curious how you've tackled this because you're doing a lot of what I'm trying to do in the sense of like creative ideas, brand, elevate, and just do it because in our heart of hearts, we know people like to work with companies that do cool marketing, right? Like yeah. kind of just as simple as that, right? Like how do you balance the ongoing needs though of Revgen with the creativity and one-offness of campaigns with a small team, right? Like I got guys like Brian who you met before the show and he's trying to hit all his OKRs and his KPIs every month. And it, a lot of it's his ongoing maintenance, right? You gotta produce the show, you gotta manage the show. Yeah. If I were to throw a creative idea at him, I'd have to take away something of my ongoing
0: yeah. that's more revenue focused. How do you balance that? Are you just adding headcount? Like what's the cultural way of doing that? Um, Well, the first thing was making sure that they're not getting hit with ideas from everywhere. So one of the first things I did at Lessonly was set up a form that everybody outside the marketing team had to use if they had a request to the marketing team. And that was, we still use it today. Like it's been four now years. Now you're
1: centralizing requests instead of like yeah.
0: Susie hitting Jim up yeah. and Jim hitting Marilyn up. and then yeah so, everybody- an a- yeah, so if an AE needs help on a slide deck, then they're forced to go to a form. And by filling out a form, the understanding is you're not going to get this day of, right? Well, they cheat hate that though. So how do yeah, you but balance that? Well, you you yeah. well, number one, marketers don't do a very good job giving sales reps great looking decks to begin with, right? <laughs> um, so anyway, but, but you... So, number 1 is give give your creative team the a a um, empathetic way to say no to other teammates, yeah. right? Yeah. Hey, thanks. I would love to help you on this, but we do go fill out the form. That that form fill goes into monday.com and we use yeah. monday.com to manage our weekly, monthly, quarterly production schedules. Okay. Um, the goal is that you have six months planned in advance, which we're just now doing as a team. We were doing quarterly, which, if you think about quarterly, it's really hard to get ahead of anything. If you're spending the first month doing the stuff, and then the second, the last two months actually implementing it. Um, so for us, it's we have we have a team that focuses on demand gen. We have an inbound team. Yeah, we have an outbound team. Which is the BDRs and SDRs, which report into marketing, and then we have an experience slash customer team, yeah. and that experience slash customer team has the designers, has and the web dev, and they're not necessarily tied to a revenue number.
1: Yeah.
0: So. I get the yeah. and it's and it's that seventy five twenty five thing and there's no re- there's no reason why I made it seventy five twenty five honestly we just picked seventy five twenty five I know somebody's probably gonna ask that it could be 20. it could be seventy thirty, whatever. You but you're
1: only going one way though, and I like that. What you are still saying is you need to take a significant amount of your budget and invest creatively in improving brand affinity, brand
0: awareness, and some yeah. type of something that's cool. Well, right? Well, h- hire hire somebody. Hire a junior designer, and we got so lucky. We have two designers that we hired out of school, and they are the best designers I've ever worked with. Yeah. Um, Helen Gardner and Anna Oaks. We, yeah, you hire somebody that's not going to tell you to send a Yeti to a customer. Like I, I don't need, I don't need a blanket. Like I, I want to be inspired. Marketing <laughs> needs to inspire. Right, and I don't need I don't need another cup. Yeah, like I got enough no. cups. Salesforce gave me enough cups. <laughs> most it. most execs get enough swag in their first job. Oh yeah, so last a lifetime. We could yeah. donate our swag yeah. and be over yeah. I mean, dollars. I'm not. I mean, to, to be clear, we we have really cool yetis that we send, but it's part of an experience, right? It's part yeah. of like a cooking class or a wine tasting or. A whiskey tasting, or you know, uh, an experience, and yeah. you know, you you ha- I don't care the amount of money you spend on it. I care that it's that it is inspired, that it's not just another webinar that I'm going to go to to sit listen to somebody. Yeah, no, I'm, you, you're speaking my and literally. I'm and I'm, and I'm yeah. hating on myself as well because we also do webinars and there there people go to it. But it's like this, right? So much. Yeah. It's, like this. it's like what Dooley does with their hot sauce challenge, which was terrible. Um, we just got Dooley, by the way, actually, as a client. Isn't that crazy? Right? Yeah, well, yeah. that's awesome. And uh, I was on that hot sauce challenge, and it was. but it's a brilliant idea. Yeah. No,
1: you know, I love like,
0: it. So. Anyway, I could, I could. yeah, are you ready? Wait, are you doing a toxic waste? I'm doing another warhead. you want to do the toxic waste? I'll do oh. a toxic waste. This uh, this is – yeah, we'll do a toxic waste. This has no natural flavors. It only says it's artificially flavored. It it's, oh, my God. This one's sour. Yeah,
1: nice. I nice. don't know what's going on here, man, but some of them are so much sour. The other ones. Okay. So <laughs> one of the things I've noticed is I was a lot more hands-on. I'm sure you went through right? like, as you went up in your career. I used to know everything, man. I was in there. I knew all my KPIs. I knew everything going on in my Google Ads account, my LinkedIn, my organic. I don't really know like I used to know Mm -hmm. when I was in it. I'm focusing a lot on the operations, on product, on sales. And then I kind of really trust my marketing team. But it's sometimes hard for me to know at a high level exactly how they're performing. And I don't think I'm the only one. So how do you at Lessonly... Know what's going on in the weeds enough to interpret what you're looking at. And then what are you looking at? You know, like, how are you balancing that?
0: Sure. Well, we have, so there's a, there's a few things. Number one is we have dashboards, Salesforce okay. dashboards that, that, you know, we have for inbound and outbound enterprise and commercial segments. Um, we meet every week as an SDR team and as a marketing, as a brand and demand team to go through projects and numbers and all that stuff. And then the marketing sales and CX leaders. So all the revenue generating leaders meet once a week in a funnel and pipeline meeting to go through everything that's happening in our demand and our, our uh, net new revenue and expansion revenue. So it's, I mean, if you, the hard part for me is that I have a hard time remembering numbers in general, so I've got to have those dashboards. But when you're meeting weekly on things, it's just e- it's easier. It's easier to yeah. be aligned.
1: Can I ask a question on the weekly? Right, one of the things I've noticed: Are you in that meeting with the three directors that are beneath you? Uh, yeah. If you're not in that meeting, what I've noticed is uh, peer level directors are like the Spider Man meme. If Nobody has authority, so they're all kind of just like pointing at each other. Another one's pointing at each other. And then they come to you and they subtly say things like, hey, Kyle, so I kind of noticed one of the stages in the pipeline. We're kind of having a drop-off here. Have you noticed that? And it's obviously someone else's. Like, how do you – who do you give authority to so that you can keep the pace amongst the directors, or are they
0: all peers? it's um, you see what It's few and far between when an exec – a level exec has to be a tiebreaker. At Lessonly, they just um, they, and I think a lot of it just has to do with the way we talk about um, sharing before ready and nonviolent communication and clarity, having clarity and empathy, and it's part of yeah. our culture. Um, so there are very few times where we have to come in and say, "Well, we're gonna I'm well, I'm deciding what we're gonna do because you guys can't figure it out." Uh, I yeah. can I can maybe think of one time in four years, wow, where I have had it. to deal with it. No,
1: I love that. So, based on then all the stuff you've learned, I guess my closing question is: What do you think is key as CMO to create a culture where people feel creative but also accountable? Right? Because, like you said earlier, that is a hard thing you're juggling, right? Yeah. Which is like we own a revenue number, but we're not going to specifically tie everything to it. Like that is actually. A little bit of like mental gymnastics, I could imagine, for people sometimes when they're thinking about time allocation, right? Like, okay, I got to hit this revenue number. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm – you know what I'm saying? It's a little – so how, how, any any learnings for some of us who might want to pursue a similar approach but and maybe avoid some of the pitfalls you probably went through initially trying to craft this idea of overall revenue but not specifically to moments?
0: Yeah, I – I think the number one thing that I learned and and we're still not great at this. And my team called us out on um, uh, me out on this yesterday is doing retros like like I, I am so focused on idea generation and the the start of the idea and pushing it forward that we don't sit back a lot of times and say, actually, like what happened?
1: Yeah. Let's see guys. We're, we're a, what next kind of person, right? Yeah, like what's yeah. next?
0: Right? And you're just like, yeah, baby, that was good. What's next.
1: Yeah. And we might miss that feedback loop. So you're saying stay more consistent with a feedback loop so you can, right. You launch a campaign with initial hypothesis, yep. the campaign ends, we evaluate how do we perform on the initial hypothesis and that creates a feedback loop for the next campaign. It's theoretically, yeah, right? Yeah. that's
0: theoretically, you've got to balance yeah. it because you know, if you have, let's say you had, a webinar and your goal was 200 people on it, but only 50 showed up. But three of those people were from your top three accounts. Like, you you know, that's why retros is so important because if you just look at that core number where 50 out of 300 showed up, then you're yeah. going to chalk it up to be a fail. But then you look in and you say, oh, American Express, Visa, and MasterCard all showed up. So I don't care if 300 people. So for me, it's a balance between... Uh, uh, scale and volume to very tactical marketing. So it's the difference between Gong building a million person subscriber list to us doing a 16 person wine tasting. The mistake that I made was that we didn't move fast enough on building that distribution list. And, I, and if you, Udi were on here from Gong, Yep. I don't think he saved the message, but I pretty much said we're, we don't care about building a database like two years ago. And I went back to him six months ago and said, man, that was I should have never said that. Well, because it's hard for you to amplify your creativity and yeah.
1: monetize your ideas because yep. you got I have the same problem. Right. Like I only have 65 or something accounts. I don't have a premium product. I don't got like everybody yeah. looks at Drift and they're like, how can I be more like Drift? It's like, OK have a free product that has millions of users. Then you can be like Drift. It's a lot easier to sell your book when you've got yeah. a massive distribution list, right? Like, So a hundred percent. Now, um, little shout out for everybody listening. If you wanna learn from our team, uh, please check out Society. Um, so little quick moment here, but check out Society, free select group, um, world-class insights and advice for any question. Now, as we're closing, Kyle, the people like today uh, I know you've been you know avid publisher and author
0: uh, how can people kind of follow along with you uh LinkedIn or Twitter Twitter is more personal I talk okay. about hatred of onions and weighted blankets and LinkedIn is professional I like that and to be clear <laughs> I hate onions but I love weighted blankets <laughs> all onions you, there's no just raw, raw onions, grilled like mostly raw okay I mean like if sense. you put I will throw the hamburger away if you put raw onions on it.
1: So, like when you came out here to California at some point, and you tried in and out, was that a vibe for you or is that like
0: no? I've never had in n out. What? I know. I've been out to California yeah, a lot. All right. I've Next time you come, out. we're gonna I'm gonna figure out a way to make it happen. So thanks so much,
1: Kyle, for being on the show. Uh glad to Take have you. And that's sour and sass. Thanks, everybody.